Welcome to Into the Verse, the Parsha podcast where we dive deep into the verses to share new and unexpected insights into the text you thought you knew. Imagine God invites you on a walk. What are you picturing? Maybe you're floating through the heavens. Maybe it's around the block outside your house. Wherever you're taking this stroll, you're probably imagining you and God side by side. That's how people walk together. Or maybe you're imagining yourself walking behind him, following his lead. But what would it mean if he asked you to walk in front of him? What does it mean to walk before God? Well, that's exactly what God asked Abraham. Hitalech lefanai, walk before me. And in this week's parsha, Jacob, on his deathbed, reflects about how Abraham and Isaac walked before God. So what in the world does that mean? Well, Beth Lesh has a theory to make sense of that phrase, and it really helps us explain the forefathers' relationship with God. In last year's episode on Parshat Ve'era, Beth presented that theory, and this year Rabbi Foreman and Beth sat down to further explore the significance of Jacob's deathbed reflections in this week's Parsha, and how it sheds light on the entire book of Genesis. Just a word of context before I hand over the mic. Last year, Beth came to these ideas through a passage in Parshat Va'ira where God tells Moses, I appeared to your forefathers in the name Kel Shakai. My name, yud and vav was not known to them. Beth's theory was that this name of Kel Shakai somehow reflects the idea of walking before God. I'll let them explain. Hey folks, this is Rabbi David Foreman. I am here with Beth Lesh. How are you? I'm good, Rabbi Foreman. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing fine. I wanted to chat with you today about a piece that you recorded for Aleph Beta. It was on uh, Parshat Va'era, and you were talking about the name Shakai that we sometimes associate with God, a mysterious name. Remember that piece? I remember that piece. This is the one that I got some help from my friend Lisa, the animal scientist. Yeah, yeah, yes. it, was, it was memorable for me too. Yeah, and I actually printed out the piece, and as I was uh, sitting there on Shabbos reading it through, I want to tell you that I really liked it a lot, and I wanted to just ruminate with you about a possible extension of the piece. Not sure exactly where it goes, but I thought it would be interesting to just kind of talk about. So just to summarize, you were trying to understand the quality of this particular name, Shakai, and how it differs from, from Yudhei and Vavhei. And God reveals himself to Moshe and says, hey, from now on, I'm going to be acting like Yudhei and Vavhei, but I revealed myself to the forefathers with this name Shakai. And everyone sort of struggles to figure out what this name is. Chazal have one interpretation, which I talked about in one of our videos, but you suggested a pretty straightforward interpretation. And you said that, you know, the first time that we find God ever revealing himself as Shakai is to Abraham in the context of the circumcision covenant back in uh, Genesis 17 or so. And basically there God says, that I am Shakai and I have a job for you. And that job is, I want you to walk before me and to be whole, uh, W-H-O-L-E. And you pointed out that, you know, this isn't the first time that we've had people walking with God. Um, there are 
examples ranging from Adam almost walking with God to mm-hmm. Hanoch to Noah, mm-hmm. right. but all of them are to be mitalech at to walk with God. And this seems to be the unique moment when people are called to walk before God. Hitalech mm-hmm. walk before God. And is there something about being Kel Shakai? That connects with walking before God, because it sort of sounds like that from the verse. Ani kel shakai, I am kel shakai, hitalech lefanai ve'yatamim. And you mm-hmm. pose this question, how is the difference to walk before God than to sort of walk with God? And you came upon another case two generations later when Yaakov is talking, and he references this idea of walking before God, but he does it in the context of calling God his shepherd, right? right? And what he says is, is that the God who is Ro'a'oti, who shepherded me, the God before whom my forefathers have walked, this is the God that I call upon to bless Ephraim and Manasseh. Right. And you wondered whether there was a connection between this notion of walking before God and the other thing that Yaakov references there, you know, one way of seeing it as uh, you are the God who shepherded me, and the other way of seeing it as my forefathers are the ones who walked before you. And you said, could it be that those aren't two different things, but those are one and the same thing, or one is sort of an explanation of the other? What does it mm-hmm. mean to be God who is shepherding me? It means the God before whom I walk. And this is where you referenced your conversation with your friend, the shepherdess. Thank you, Lisa. Well, she's not a shepherdess, but she knows shepherds. She consults with um, dairy farmers and tells them what they should feed their cows. So yeah, she was a, she was a great resource. So what she suggested is that uh, the way shepherds work is they don't actually walk in front of their flock. They walk from behind their flock and they sort of surreptitiously um, guide the flock. When we talk about uh, to to follow like sheep. Sheep like following each other. Mm-hmm. That's what they're kind of into. So a sheep thinks that what they're doing is following the sheep in front of them, but they don't realize that the shepherd, who they can kind of catch just out of the corner of their peripheral vision, is in fact leading them, but from behind. So I would say, well, if he's from behind, how is he going to lead them? So first of all, can you just describe how that works? In other words, how does a shepherd lead sheep from behind? Yeah, so my, my understanding is like this. I'll start out with what might seem like a mysterious statement and then clarify it a bit. Um, To the extent that sheep are followers, I I agree with you, but I think it might be more accurate to say not that they follow the sheep that are in front of them, but that they follow the sheep that are behind them, which means my understanding, thank you, Lisa, is that when a sheep is trying to decide, so so to speak, where to move to, the sheep has an instinct that when it perceives pressure from behind, from the sheep behind it, it moves in the, in the direction that it's being pushed. And therefore, if the shepherd stands all the way at the back and the shepherd with his staff or with her staff is sort of very gently applying pressure to that back, back, back sheep, um, that back, back, back sheep is going to be driven by its instinct to move forward. And it nudges the sheep in front of it. And that one nudges the sheep in front of it. And as a result, it's the shepherd all the way in back who's the one who's determining the course. Um, but all he needs is is to be that first, you know, that first domino. Um, and then it's the sheep who are taking over. I think your point was also that the sheep do have some choice as to where they go. And the shepherd, in broad strokes, can sort of guide them to mm. avoid a pitfall here or there. But there's some sense in which sheep do sort of determine their course. Shepherds are there to make sure they don't get into too much trouble. 
and in extreme situations can guide them here or there. Right, which sort of gets to the question of what instincts do the sheep have and are they good instincts? And I think the answer is most of the time they are good instincts. So most of the time the sheep would probably be okay if they were left to their own devices and they were going where they wanted to go. But there are some situations in which the shepherd knows best so he can gently exert his influence and redirect. So I found that really interesting. And what you suggested, there's sometimes that God can lead from behind and sometimes God can lead more overtly from the front. And God is saying to Moshe, I'm taking over as Yudke Vavke in a more direct way right now with signs and wonders, but don't think that I don't lead you mm-hmm. even when it's much more, uh, much more covert. Mm-hmm. And I'm just from behind and there's this dance in which human free will sort of dances with with God leading from behind, which creates the normal flow of history, mm-hmm. you know, other than the dramatic cases of Yitzhak Mitzrayim and things like that, where God comes and says, well, it's time for a new name. I'm That's acting, right. I'm acting right. differently here. And when you're being led from behind, you have to choose to interpret what might otherwise be explained as natural events as being events that are potentially being guided by God. Whereas when God is leading from the front, it's, it's undeniable. There's no, there's no room for interpretation. So what I wanted to do is just actually take you back into that text, which you were looking at, which is the story of Yaakov blessing Ephraim and Manasseh yeah. and saying that God was shepherding me. And the job of my forefathers was to walk before God. So let's open up to Genesis 48, verse 15. So he blesses Joseph and says, The God before whom my fathers walked. The God who shepherded me until this point. So the angel that redeemed me from all harm. So this angel... Um, will bless these lads. So if we go back a little bit earlier in these verses, you see some interesting things. First of all, look at verse 11 right before this. Do you mm-hmm. see in verse 11 anything that seems to be a play in words off of the idea, Elohim haroe oti, yeah. the God who shepherded me? Yeah, are you, are you thinking of the language of um, uh, re'o fanecha, uh, seeing? Yeah, well, keep on going. Oh, and also, oh, her aoti actually is haroe oti, if you just switch the aleph to the ayin, which is really pretty interesting, right? So in other words, one might think, what's one of the ways that God really shepherded Jacob from behind? Here Jacob goes, and there's this malach that redeems him from all harm. Well, what was the greatest harm that Yaakov had ever possibly imagined, you know, happening to him in his life? It was the loss of his precious son. Right, right. right. It was Yosef, and for all he knew, he was gone, and you'd never see him again. And then there's all these crazy events, that there's this famine, and then his children say, we got to go down to Egypt, we got to take Benjamin, he's like, over my dead body, I'm not leaving Benjamin. And then... Benjamin gets kidnapped, and who knows what's going to happen. But Yehuda says, like, take me instead of Benjamin. And the high Egyptian official breaks down crying, and it turns out it's Joseph. And before you know it, Yaakov is going to meet up with Joseph and connects with him. And now it's almost as if here is Yaakov reflecting on this 
Vayomer Yisrael Yosef, and he's saying, look, Ra'o Panecha Lo Pilalti, I never thought that I would ever even possibly even see you again. And Vihine, and not only do I see you again, but this is the most joyful moment in my life. Vihine Hero Tialokim, Gamet Zarecha, and now God has shown me also your children, right? So I wonder if the play on words off of her ot gam et zarecha has shown me also your children is a deliberate playoff of what will become the God who is ro ot who shepherded me, which is what's the greatest expression that he now sees of God shepherding him, of leading him from behind in mm-hmm. places that he needed to go, is to reveal to him his long lost son, and not just his long lost son, but his children as well, that he can now claim as his own and bring into the fold, right? And maybe this is one of those tangible examples of what it means to be shepherded by God or a God who leads from behind. How do you think verse 10 plays into that? Verse 10, where where we get a description of Yaakov's inability to see. And he says, Lo yuchalirot, which I'm, I'm wondering if there's, if there's a message there around, you know, um, I don't know, like a shepherd is like the eyes of the sheep. Yeah, and it goes back with memories of another time that there was a man who couldn't see well. And there was another man who, uh, you know, his child came close to him. It was, and Yaakov at that point was the child and not the father. And his father was Isaac who couldn't see. Which is arguably like, arguably the seed of all of this. Yes, the seed at some level of of Mechirat Yosef itself, which is Yaakov dressing up with the goat skins of his brother and slaughtering a goat and bringing it to his father, ends up with his children bringing a goat to him mm-hmm. and uh, taking and spearing it upon the coats of his son. And mm-hmm. So it's somehow the seeds of Mechirat Yosef go back to his father's own deception at that moment. But here's this moment when it's been redeemed, mm-hmm. when somehow the circle has closed, and he finds himself now in the role of his own father, but coming to him now is not a child who's going to deceive him, who he can kiss and be deceived, which was what Yaakov did to Yitzchak at that point. But now here's Yosef, a loyal child, who comes to bring his own children to hug, and, and it's at the, the sign of the circle closing and a, of this moment of joy of what has been a very, very difficult life for Yaakov. And at that point, isn't, isn't it true? Isn't it amazing that any Israel Kavdu Mizokin, you know, he can't see, and yet at some level, he can see better than he's ever seen before mm-hmm, in the sense mm-hmm. that, lo pilalti, I never imagined that I would see you, but now God has shown me your, your, your seed. And it's, I think it's as you say, that God has shown me, God has allowed me to see, i.e. my eyes can't see, but it's a double entendre. On one hand, my eyes can't see, but God has brought before me your children. Or God has given me the vision that I lack. Why? Because what does a shepherd do? A shepherd's from way behind. You think, what could a shepherd see? But a shepherd's ability to perceive outstrips that of the sheep. And the shepherd from afar can see the kind of dangers that a sheep somehow can't even see up close. And that's the kind of hoda, the kind of recognition that Jacob seems to have of God at this mo- in this mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. Um, that everything is kind of working out. Yeah, I appreciate the way that you're taking us back into the context of this moment, because when I looked at this Pusik, I was really examining it in a vacuum. And I was thinking to myself, you know, okay, so when when Yaakov is administering this blessing, what is he saying? What does he mean? To me, that sounded like, okay, so his father and grandfather taught him 
they they passed on this tradition to him that you know God is the one before whom we walk. They they taught him the language, so he's parroting that back. But this isn't just him teaching us in a vacuum what it means to be hitalich before God. The second clause, which is halokim me'od ad hayom hazeh, it sounds very personal. You're, you're right. It's like my forefathers, they did walking before, but I personally feel that I have been shepherded by God. And yeah, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting question to ask. What is he seeing right now in his own life that makes him feel that way, that inspires him to open up with this blessing? Yep. Um, and what's particularly sort of chilling and beautiful about it is I'd like to ask you to go back just a little bit further now mm-hmm. to an earlier point in the story. Remember, here is Yaakov encountering Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, but it turns out that actually just a little bit earlier in the story, he had also been talking about Ephraim and Manasseh. Let's go back to one point just a little bit earlier. I want to take you to verse 2. So people came and told Yaakov, here's your son Yosef, he's coming to you. And he gathered all his strength and he sat up on the bed. So Jacob says to Yosef, look at what he says. Kel shakai mira Eli. Okay, that's that's very interesting. The god shakai came to me in Luz back in Beta when I was in Eretz Canaan. Wow. And he blessed me. Okay. I'm really glad you're making these connections. I remember now when I had done the research for this piece, we have the story, as you said, you know, in, in Genesis 17 of God appearing to Abraham and saying, I am Kel Shakai. I think there's a Yitzchak iteration as well. And and here is our Yaakov iteration, which is, yes. in other words, like in in, in Parshas Vayera, when, when God says, I appeared to your forefathers as Kel Shakai, God isn't just speaking metaphorically. There, there were these moments, part of the narrative in Tanakh, when God appears. And here, as you're saying, the language is Kel Shakai near Eli. Um, and isn't that interesting that this should be in the same chapter? Okay, keep going. Yes, it is in the same chapter and mm-hmm. sort of is the context for what Yaakov is about to say that, you knows if we take your theory that God has been shepherding me this whole time and that the role of a, of a sheep to a shepherd is to walk before, isn't it fascinating mm. that the context is, you know, he says to Yosef, the very first thing he says to him is that it was the God Shakai who came to me in Luz. Mm-hmm. I'm relating to the God Shakai now and everything that I'm talking to you about. Remember, this is Yaakov on his deathbed reflecting on a particular moment in his life. And so now, let's look at this moment in Yaakov's life and ask ourselves, why would God have revealed himself as Kel Shakai specifically at that moment in his life? This is Yaakov's second encounter with God in Betel. So let's just transport ourselves back all those years earlier, and let's relive what had happened. Vetel is this fortuitous place that means the house of God, right? So let's remember what his first encounter with God at Vetel is. So the first encounter is when Yaakov had just been running away from his brother Esav. It's the beginning of Parshat Vayetze. And there he stops and he has this dream that God appears to him in this dream. Now, Beth, if you were to assume the persona of Yaakov at that moment, right? So how's your life going now? It's um, it's it's in the dumps. This is not how I expected things to play out. That's right. And are you worried? Are you concerned? Are you anxious? 
I'm all of those things. I am literally fearful for my life because my brother who has sworn that he will murder me might be hot on my tail. Um, and I'll, I'm separated from my family. I had hoped that I might be able to um, take on the mantle of uh, leadership and service of God from my father. It seems like that's also lost. Yeah, and this whole blessing that you managed to pilfer from your father, it was all about being a leader, uh, create this great nation and uh, inhabit the land of Israel. And look at you. You're off in exile, and you don't have a penny to your name. You're not even married, and uh, things don't even look great for you, right? Mm -hmm. So at mm -hmm. that moment, here comes God, and God reiterates this promise and says, you know what? It's going to be okay. You're going to have these children. You're going to have this great nation. It's going to come from you, and I'm going to give you this land. And then God says to him something else. He says, I'm going to be with you, yeah. right? And I'm going to watch over you wherever you go, mm -hmm. and I'm going to bring you back to your father's house, ultimately. And then things continue to not go so well for him. I mean, the few days that his mother had talked about for this exile, you'll just be gone a few days. They stretch into weeks and stretch into months and stretch into years. He starts working for Rachel, which spends seven long years working for her. Those years become 14 years. He really is in exile for a long time until this angel, you know, he mentions these angels who redeem him from bad things. This angel appears to him in a dream and says, it's time to come home. And you can imagine that moment when the angel says, you know, I'm God and it's time to come home. It's like, wow, really? Like I'm going to be protected? That's amazing. Like mm -hmm. he thinks it's all behind him mm -hmm. only to discover that it's not. And Asaph is angry and coming to him with 400 men, but somehow he manages to reconcile with Asaph, yeah. reconciles with his long lost brother. At that point, when all of that is over again, his daughter is uh, is taken and kidnapped in Shem, and his brothers perform this Entebbe rescue that goes bad, and he's kind of limping away from that. But the good news is that he's finally coming home, and he's finally coming home to the land of Canaan, mm -hmm. and he's got a family, and he's got children, right? So if you think about this in the larger scope of things, that he's supposed to build this nation with children and supposed to have this nation in the land, if you're Yaakov now, as you're kind of limping home, and you've successfully reconciled with Asaph. You're about to see your parents again, right? How are you feeling now? First of all, just incredibly warm by the fact that God's promise seems to have come true. And like the hard days are over um, mm -hmm. and hopefully the blessings are going to start to blossom, you know, as early as tomorrow. That's right. So let's pick up the narrative then in chapter 35, verse 1. So God says to Yaakov, Kum I want you to go back to the place where you felt so anxious when you were on the lamb, when you were running away. Sham, I want you to stay there for a while. And make an altar to celebrate the God Hanira Elecha, who appeared to you. There are those words again, who appeared to you, who made himself seen to you when you were running away from Esau. Right. And so this is your chance to sort of recognize that things have come full circle, that everything is fine, right? And so Yaakov says, okay, everyone's got to go. And they all go up, and he builds this altar for God in Bethel. And right. God appears to him in Bethel, and he blesses him. And in verse 10, he reaffirms this new name that he got when he struggled with the angel, Shimcha mm -hmm. Yaakov. Even though your name is Jacob, lo yikare Shimcha Yaakov. You're not going to be called that. You have a new name, Yisrael, and this is the birth of Israel. Right? And the children of Israel, it all starts now. Israel mm -hmm. is your name, 
and Vayikar Shema Yisrael, and I will call your name Israel. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, God says to him, Ani Kel Shakai, I am the God Shakai. Pray Reve, I want you to have children. Go Yukal Goyim Yamimeka, right? Nations will come from you. Malachim Kings are going to come forth from you. Now, if you're Yaakov, how are you feeling now? I mean, I'm, I'm on top of the world. You're on top of the world. You have a chance of finally making this destiny come true. You are supposed to be the leader of this family, who is supposed to pick up the mantle of the Abrahamic blessing. And here God comes and says, you're going to have this great nation that comes from you, and kings are going to come from you. You're going to mm-hmm. actually have a stable system of governance. You're going to be able to to take possession of this land. There's only one little thing about this, and that God says, I am Kelshakai, which according to you would mean what? Well, according to me, it means that God is about to start leading from behind. Um, That's right. Or yeah. God is emphasizing, you know me. Mm-hmm. I'm the God who leads from behind. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to see me in front, right? You're going to have your own choices to make, and it's going to take you in lots of different places. Wow. But I'm still there leading from behind. Look what the next thing that happens is. If you would stop Jacob and say, Jacob, what do you think is going on in your life now? You're going to have all these kids. Who do you think is going to give you all these kids? You have two wives, but we all know that there was one wife who you always planned to marry. You probably bet mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of new children from Rachel, right? Mm-hmm. The next thing that happens is that Rachel is dies. Rachel dies. And all of a sudden, oh my gosh, things are not so great. I mean, this is the great tragedy of his life. But that tragedy is surmounted by one more tragedy that's going to happen in the very next major event. The next major event is when Yaakov comes to the land of Canaan, thinking that it's his to take possession of, that he's finally arrived at this moment where kings are going to come only to have this strife well up in his family and to have Mm -hmm. Joseph sold to a slave in Egypt, and pretty soon they're all coming down to Egypt. Mm-hmm. And he goes from being on top of the world and to, to having lost everything. You lose Rachel, you learn Yosef, you, yeah, yeah. You almost lose Benjamin, you, yeah. So here is Yaakov, now fast forward to his deathbed moment, and he's remembering this moment at Betel. Yeah. And he's saying, you know, at that moment, I really thought that I knew the future. I thought that... It was the mm-hmm. end of history. It's God's going to take take charge and lead from ahead, just making all these kings happen. And it was, and we were on easy street. But little mm-hmm. did I know that what God was telling me when He said Ani Kel Shakai, that I am the God Shakai, is that no, God was my shepherd, yeah. and it was my job to walk before Him, mm-hmm. and that I would make these choices, and I would stumble and I would fall, but somehow there would be a shepherd, and one way or the other we would get there. And I see that in a way. My life took the strangest and most difficult of turns. Not only did I lose Rachel, I lost Joseph, and I almost lost Benjamin. But now, God, who can see better than I can, I'm blind. I can't see anything. But mm-hmm. God has now shown me your children. That's the God who can shepherd me from behind. But Beth, you and I know something that Jacob doesn't even know yet. Because what's really on the horizon is something even more tragic than the loss of Joseph and the loss of Rachel. Jacob is standing on the cusp of 210 years of slavery and doesn't see that. 
And mm. the truth is, is that God will continue leading from behind through all of these years. Jacob really is blind. He can't see. God really is his eyes and who's leading him forward, even more than he can possibly imagine. And at the end of all of that, the next iteration of stumbles and of God leading from behind, the shepherd will finally make history come to where it needs to go until God shows up to Moses at the burning bush and finally tells him that he's not Kelshakai anymore. And when he finally says, you know, this is the time I lead from ahead, this is the time that you can understand me as yud and vav hey. I will take the leadership role and make these plagues happen and take you forward. This is the new kind of relationship that you have with me. Mm-hmm. But it's a humbling thing that you can recognize that there's something called the God of Shakai and begin to see in retrospect how God has led you in these ways and express gratitude for God leading you from behind without even beginning to imagine how much more leading from behind God will continue to do in -hmm. your life. But Mm -hmm. as difficult as it gets, at least God is there and he does lead from behind, even Mm -hmm. in those difficult times. That's right. And there's, there's a, there's a sort of kindness to God revealing himself as Kael Shakai in those moments, because basically it's a way of saying, hint, hint, Things are about to go not as you planned. But but when that happens, remember this moment and, and know that even that was according to my plan. And when it doesn't feel that I'm behind you, in fact, I am. Interesting. Anyway, Beth, I wanted to share some of those thoughts with you. Thank you for thinking it through with me. Thanks for opening this up, Rabbi Foreman. Good to see you, Beth. Thanks for hanging out with me. That's this week's episode. To listen to last year's episodes, as well as our world-famous Parsha and Holiday videos, head on over to olivebeta.org and sign up for a membership. This episode is recorded by Rabbi David Foreman together with Beth Lash. This episode is produced by Sarah Panso. Our audio editor is Hilary Gutman. Our production manager is Adina Blaustein. Our senior editor is me, Ari Levison. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. 